Okay, this is Men Balance Radio, and today I'm talking to John Ayer. Welcome, John. Thank you. So, um, I wanted to talk to you because you have Alzheimer's, and I don't want to talk only about Alzheimer's, but I do want to start there. So, talk about uh, how you were, how you learned you had Alzheimer's, and what impact it's had on you. Just to start. I am fortunate in the doctor I have, Doctor Jerry Jackie Fairclough who's a great Christian guy. And I'm sitting with him one day, and he looks at me, and he says, John, I think I'll give you a, a little test here, a memory test. Here are these six words, John. I tell you these words, blue, car, pigeon, uh, button, and so on. Give me these six words. Now, see, we'll talk a bit about something else for a while. And after we've finished talking about these things, I'll ask you what those things are again. And I couldn't remember that. Wow. So that was your first notion that you had? I, and he said, that, I think you've got the beginning of Alzheimer's. Really? How long ago was that? And that was about a year and a half ago. And um, so talk about what's happened since then. Well, he put me on a, a drug called Exelon and a second one called Memantine. And... Uh, we had a bit of a time getting them in balance because uh, they caused me nightmares. Right. And but he got them in balance and uh, kept me along. And he, he just promises me no, no, no great miracles, but the, the probability is it will stabilize you now, so that you won't get worse. We need to make clear. You, how old are you now? I'm 90 years old. Right. So uh, this is different. It was a bit of a shock to yeah. to have somebody say I had dementia because. My brother had dementia. I've been through it. I've seen what it does to them. I know what it does to them. I don't want it to happen to me. I would not like to be that, but that's a possibility now that I will be like that. Right. The worst thing about it is the fear that I will be like. So, so I've known you for a while now, and I'm, I know that you're very mentally alert, and you, you recall things that I could not even recall. But, uh, so how has it impacted you? How do you? What do you feel like is different? What is different is, Jerry, that I will not remember things that I'm supposed to remember. For instance, I will get my airplane trips screwed up. Yeah. And I will, some, I, with the result that I got on the wrong airplane and went to the wrong place one time. Right. Or I will go to a meeting on the wrong day yeah. and nobody will turn up and I'll be very upset because they, nobody turned up. But I've got the meeting on the wrong day, Jerry. Right. I don't know what day of the week it is. So I've, I've had to learn to... Well, I've had to learn to be more careful and more thoughtful about how, things. How do you do take that? time how, to... How do you, what, what I do had you to write things down, like, Jerry, because yeah. I, I won't remember them. Right. I have to, for instance, when I come in from my car from a trip, I have to remember to take the wallet out of my pocket and put it in a certain place every day. And I have to remember to take my keys out and put them in a certain place every day because if I don't, I won't know where they are. Right. I can't remember where they are. So I can't make my mind remember where they are. What about directions and, and finding your way around? Mostly I'm okay, but I have a wonderful thing in a cell phone that's got GPS on it. <laughs> so you count on that. So I just, when I leave home, I, I, I dial in where I'm going to go. And the thing tells me where to turn. Right, right. And it's wonderful. But I don't have it when I get lost. 
I truly am. I'm truly have trouble. Do you have problems, say, walking around the neighborhood? No, no, I don't, because yeah. it's a it's a pathway. So, and once I establish a pathway, and I keep doing the same thing over and over again, I know where I'm going. And the same thing with a trip. I know the pathway. I'm okay. okay. They put me on a plane, and somebody meets me at the other end and takes me somewhere. It's a pathway. Yeah. I will be going to St. Louis to see an old friend there. It's a pathway. Um, another pathway. The pathway is sort of creased in my mind, and I keep repeating yeah, it. Yeah, So, uh, what is your official diagnosis? Is it like mild? Mild, mild, mild dementia. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, do you, the medicine you take, is it, do you find it helpful? Can you tell that it's making a difference? Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Now you wear a patch. Correct? I wear a patch. Yeah. And uh, so you don't have to worry about dosage or remembering to take the medicine and all that. Oh, yes, I have to remember. I've, I've, I've got myself in a schedule now okay. where I do something. When I first get up in the morning, I take the old patch off one side. I put the new patch on the other side. And I reverse them for a day. Oh, and okay. I don't so feel like they. So, so, I've, so I've got my pills in a little pill box. Yeah. And I take the pill. The, the pill, the, the dementia pill is in that box as well as a patch. Okay. And I take them both at the same time every day. So you have to put on a new patch every day? A new patch every day. Okay. And I have to be very careful with my, medicine, with my medication. I have to look at the medicine, medicine I'm doing and count them. I know how many pills I'm taking a day. And I have to know which ones they are so I don't get them mixed up. So um, what do you how do you look at your future when you know you have Alzheimer's? Do you worry a lot about the future? Or fear, fear is is a terrific thing when you when you get sick or something is happening to you. Fear will grip you, and fear is a liar and will tell you things that are not true, and will get you worried and off course on things. And I've been through so many things in my lifetime. Three times I've been in a coma. Six months in an in in, a, in an institution for manic depression, things, and I've come out of them each time. So I realize now dementia is just another one of those things that yeah. I'm facing in life. And that if I, God has somehow taken me through these other things and my faith sustains me. And with my dementia, my son brought me here to live with him. Yeah. Because he realized I was getting to the point where I needed help. And now he, he's there. He's got my power of attorney. He watches me. I talk to him. He mentors me. He knows what's happening to me. He's in talk, communication with my doctor about it. So I'm secure. Yeah. I've got somebody looking after me. That, that, is, that is great because everybody I think, needs that uh, in this disease. But So we're, you and I are part of a group that meets here at this church talking about <clears throat> Alzheimer's and most of these men have wives who have Alzheimer's uh, and some of those stories are pretty scary aren't they, they are scary yeah so uh, you don't worry about yourself um, as you go down this path getting I do but I don't get eaten up by it yeah. because I've, I've got a face that God is looking after me and I'll be okay and I've seen my best friend at the end of his life get into dementia and I've seen the wonderful care that he got from his family and his wife. And I know that I will have the same kind of care. So a couple other things I want to talk about, and you've already touched on one of them, and that is your faith. Let's talk about your 
early part of your life and how you came to your faith and then how it's changed over the years. I was not raised in the church, Jerry. I was a, a kid that was in trouble. I was a kid that did not know his father. My father died before I got to know him. My father was an alcoholic and my family never talked about him. So I knew nothing about my father. I knew I, I only knew that I, the other boys had a father and I didn't have a father. And why didn't I have a father? And my mother did not want to talk about my father. Nobody talked about him. And I was very lonely in that where I felt very cheated out of something that other boys had. And one day, uh, I was getting into more and more trouble, Jerry. And one day, somebody helped my sister with her marriage. And my sister asked them to help me. And this guy walked into my life and became a friend to me and offered me friendship. And I never had anybody ever offer me friendship like that before. And I wanted it very much. And I saw this guy had something that I didn't know quite what it was, but it made him different than other people. And he was the first guy that ever talked about God to me. Now, I didn't know much about God except a few cuss words. Mm-hmm. You could never get me to church because I didn't <clears throat> want to go there. I thought God was for sick people and old people, like my mother who was sick. And now she read her Bible every day, but I didn't want that. You couldn't get me in a church if you wanted to. Wanted to get me in church. Only grandma could get me to go to church. And she was so fearful, so so awesome and so fearful, I wouldn't do anything else but do what she told me to do. Right. But other than that, I wouldn't go to church. So even when you talked to this guy, though, and asked him questions, he at first didn't tell you a whole lot, right? He didn't tell me a whole lot, Joe. He told me very simple things. Because if he told me theological stuff like provenient grace and all that kind of stuff, I would have been out of there in a New York second. Yeah. But he talked. He put the hay down where the donkey could get hold of it. <laughs> he talked about moral standards, absolute moral standards. And he talked about God as a loving God who could talk to and direct your life. If I wanted to be part of remaking the world or building a new world, I could be part of it. And but the organization that he was from was called? Moral Rearmament. Uh-huh. And moral rearmament was exactly what I needed. I needed to be morally rearmed because I was into every every kind of wrong thing there was in the world. And you, you in, fact, in fact, got involved with that and that, in fact, led you to your wife, right? That's right. It led to my wife, led to my, my change, and led to all kinds of things that I've done in my life. So, so when you look back on that, you'd have to say this one guy... Uh, is singularly responsible, really, for you. He was my link to God. Yeah. He was my link to God, as I was supposed to be a link to other people to God. And, and that was where I was going. So you, you now are pretty much convinced that that's anybody's role in life is to be. Our there. role in life is to be links, yeah. links to God. Yeah. We're meant to, we're meant to help people find God, some way in their lives, yeah. and, and they will do it for other people. Yeah. Um. So talk to this the story about how you met your wife is sort of fascinating. Tell me about that. Well, we were both teenagers when we first met through moral rearmament. Bookman, who was the founder of initiator of moral rearmament, had a genius for helping people change their lives. And once you made a change in your life, he would take you and put you in this program where you related your change to other people. Mm-hmm. And this group of people, when I changed, I found there was other teenagers my own age who'd also changed. And we put our story in the form of a play. We went across the country telling our story to audiences. Any audience would listen to us. And the group was called what? That was, that was doing Moral Rearmament was what? doing this. But there's an outgrowth of that called what? Up With People. Up but with that people. came much later. Oh, okay. 
That came much later. It grew out of it. Several things grew out of moral rearmament. The earlier moral rearmament was called 20th century Christian fellowship and then became the Oxford group. And then in World War II became moral rearmament because the world was rearming yeah, yeah. for war. So the, the, the answer to it is moral rearmament. So uh, I, I know that you mentioned life there and there was a period of time where you didn't see each other, but talk about this uh, event that brought you back together. Well, I, be I began to... The first biggest thing I learned from moral rearmament was listening to God. To find listening, taking time each day to be quiet and listen and try to find what God wanted me to do with my life that day and, and other, other things like that. And one night, I, wo I awakened in the middle of the night with a feeling that God was in the room with me and had something for me to say to me. And that, and that thought, clear thought came to me, just go find hope and take care of her. And hope was the young lady that I became infatuated with when I was a teenager. So I hadn't seen her for 10 years. That's a lot of symbolism and go find hope, right? So I went and found her <laughs> and asked her to marry me. Yeah. It, was just, it was just as simple as that. But we'll talk about that event because she didn't expect to see you, right? No, she didn't expect to see me. She wasn't interested in me. She hadn't thought of me at all. And you walked in. And I walked into her life and I burgered out to her, I've come to ask you to marry me. <laughs> she, she said, said I wasn't interested <laughs> in you. I'm not, I don't love you. I thought I could learn to love you. Yeah. But I, what I didn't know was that she had lost her faith oh. and she had become involved in an infatuation with a married man oh who happened to be the husband of one of her friends. Mm. So and she was considering marriage to him. So you went away without any success? And, and I went away without any success. But it, what it started in her was a whole chain of thoughts. Yeah. And she went to her sister and talked about it. And they ended up on their knees, talking, giving her giving her life back to God. Yeah. And I got a phone call from her two months later saying, did you really mean what you asked me when you asked me to marry you? And I said, yes, I did. Oh. And we decided we would get married and live our lives together. So uh, that was a, that is a great story. And, it's, and it points out, I think, how divinely inspired our lives are when we really are willing to listen to that, isn't it? God has a plan for us yeah. and is a, is a part in his plan for the world. Well, that was a part of your life, though. I want you to talk about this little story where you got into journalism temporarily and got, got told you weren't any good at it. Tell me about that. Well, uh, my friends in moral environment thought the time had come for me to learn a trade. I was a teen, no longer a teenager, and it was time for me to, to learn to make my, my living in life, and I needed a trade for that. And they gave me, arranged for me to have a letter of introduction from the city editor, the Los Angeles Examiner, to the city editor of the new of the Ottawa Journal, and I went and got a job as a, as a cub reporter. And two weeks, two or two, maybe four weeks later, he fired me for incompetence. So but, I, but what were you doing? How tell us sort of how he how he fired you? Well, I was sent to a funeral uh, of a pretty important uh, citizen in Ottawa, and I was to bring back the names of all the people who went to the, the funeral. And I got them all garbled up. <laughs> and he didn't like that. He didn't appreciate that very much. And, and he decided that I was I needed to go somewhere else. He sees you writing the story. And, and he reached over the back of me and pulled my paper out of the typewriter and crumpled it up and threw it on the floor and said, you're fired. So oh. I got myself a job on a weekly newspaper and learned the trade from the bottom up and then became a journalist 
worked for the Montreal Gazette yeah. and I wrote big stories, national stories. And a, a year later, the guy that fired me had asked me to come back and work for him, yeah. which I didn't do. But John, I got to say, for a 90-year-old man, you've got a lot of wisdom that a lot of uh, younger guys might really profit from. So talk a minute about what would you say are the key things that younger men need to pay attention to in their lives as they develop in their career and their family? That's a hard question, Jerry, to tell what a younger man ought to do. But I guess I've learned the hard way is I have to find God in my life somehow. I have to find my, the will, what the will of God is for me in my life. And once I do that, I've got an anchor that keeps me in place because my natural human urges take me somewhere else all the time. And take me in, it took me into the wrong places as a kid and will take me into the wrong places as an adult. But I'm anchored with that faith. I stay there where I am. I come back to it. If I, if I lose my anchor, I always come back to the point where I've got off the track. And, and you still again. Today, you believe that. And you oh, I do it every day. It's my operating, operating. The first thing I do when I get up in the morning is do a prayer, take time with the Bible, take time to study it, take time to reflect upon it, what it means to me, and then time to ask God, who should I be in touch with today? What should I do with my life today? John, that's powerful. Our time is up. I really thank you for your wisdom and thank you for the uh, testimony of what you shared today and what you have learned in your own life. And thank you so much for being with us. Well, I hope it will do somebody else a little bit of good. Thank you. Because somebody else did it for me. I'm Jerry Hancock for Men and Balance Radio.